Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to go over some Bengals headlines. We're going to talk about the Ring of Honor, and we're also going to go over the quandary that awaits us at the top of the draft with these three amazing prospects. Corey O'Neill from the Grease Pole Podcast is going to stop in. Not only is he a big-time Eagles fan, but he's a draft expert as well. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Bengals headlines. There's some people in this world that when you first meet them, you can tell they're a good person. There's some warmth in their presence, maybe their facial expression, the way they act towards people, maybe even the smile. And that's how it was when I met Gio Bernard for the first time a few years back. You could tell that he's a good person and a great Bengal. Eight seasons as a Bengal, 33 touchdowns, the all-time leader in receptions for a running back. What a career. He was like our modern-day James Brooks. And you remember that game against the Dolphins early on in his career? He was running around like Barry Sanders out there. And that continued on through his whole career, even into this season, where he had that go-ahead touchdown against the Browns at the goal line on that reception late in the game. He was just constantly clutch. You can always depend on him. He came in this year and was a bell cow when Mixon went down. Great blocker. And he took his hits for the Bengals. You know, he tore his ACL in a Bengals uniform. He had that concussion that Ryan Shazier gave him in the playoff game with that cheap shot. And we sent him out to the Wolves a lot. How many times do you remember? It's third and long. Everyone in the house knew it was going to be a screen pass to Geo, And sure enough, it was. I mean, I could call it from my living room. I was like, oh, it's going to Geo right now. I felt bad for him at times because, you know, third and 17, everyone's looking to tee off on him. You know, you dump him the ball in space. He's got linebackers bearing down on him, strong safeties, the whole deal. So anyway, thank you for being such a courageous Bengal and putting forth all that effort for us. So we saved $4 million by cutting him. We asked him to take a pay cut, which is a little disrespectful to a veteran like that. It's not that much money that we we're paying him, but I understand with Mixon's price tag, the running back room is starting to get a little expensive, so I get it. What they're going to do now is it looks like Travion Williams is going to be his successor unless they go chase a speed back in the draft. So the way the running back room looks now, you have Joe Mixon, who's a power back. You have Samaj P. Ryan, who's a power back. And you have Jock Patrick, if he comes up to the active roster, he's another power back. So you have three of basically the same style back, and then you have Travion Williams. So that opens the door for Williams to supplant Geo and get those snaps on third down, but we'll see how it plays out. So there's nine home games this year. The first change since 1978, that was when they switched from 14 games to 16 games. Now we're going to 17, and we lucked out year one, nine home games. And you have to look at it as an advantage. Home field is an advantage, so if you figure nine games, even if we go a little bit better than 500, that's five and four in those games, we have a fairly easy road schedule. So with all this said, the extra home game might be the thing that throws us over and gets us in the playoffs if everything goes like we want and Joe gets healthy, the line plays well, the defense plays well. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go in. But either way, having nine home games is much better than having eight. And having 17 Bengal games is a total joy. I'm waiting for the day when it's 18, maybe even 20 someday. So Mr. Tobin gave a press conference about a week or so ago, and he gave an explanation on why they didn't go after Joe Tooney. And it makes sense to me. I mean, I, I still am from the school of getting the marquee players, whether it's the draft, whether it's free agency. Get those top three, top five guy types. Don't wait and get the second tier. But he explained it as, if we signed Tooney, we wouldn't have had the room to sign a few of the guys that we signed. So I get the logic on both sides, but I'm a fan of getting the best possible players. 
But I'm glad that Mr. Tobin addressed that because a lot of Bengals fans were questioning, why didn't you get this guy? Why didn't you get Lindsley? Why didn't you chase the top guys? And it kind of goes with our philosophy. You know, we're, we're grabbing second-tier guys and a few of them rather than one or two top-notch guys. But I think the players that we signed this year are going to make an impact. I'm really feeling like the defense is going to be improved. If you ask me, am I satisfied or unsatisfied with free agency, that's a tough question to answer. As I've been on record saying, I wanted us to grab two offensive linemen that were top tier, and we grabbed one that was second tier. So, you know, as much as they upgraded the defense, and that's going to be a strong point, I'm going to say that I'm unsatisfied on what we've done so far in free agency. Because we didn't fix our biggest need. And we're going to be looking to the draft to fix it, and hopefully you can get two good linemen in those top three, four picks. All right, let's move on to some transactions. So the big one is they signed Thaddeus Moss from LSU, the tight end. He was on the Washington roster. He was on injured reserve all of last year. When he was coming out the year that Joe was coming out, I was hoping they grabbed him in like the seventh round. You saw that he was available. Bengals fans were getting hyped about picking him. Unfortunately, we didn't pick him, and he ended up being an undrafted free agent. It was really mainly because of that foot injury, and it lingered with him all last season, so he never got on the field. Now, I know they signed him. I'm not sure what happened with the physical, if he passed the physical or not, but that's going to be a big thing. If his foot is healthy, we could use a pass-catching tight end. You know, we have Sample and Uzama, Mason Shrek's floating around. We have Wilcox. You know, you could use another guy in there. We'll talk about Pitts later if we were to grab someone like that. But in lieu of that, getting another guy who Joe is familiar with and had good success with, and he comes from a good bloodline, Randy Moss, Hall of Famer, is his father. So hopefully he can come in, be a pass catcher, recreate that chemistry, and he turns into a great waiver wire pickup. They also re-signed Amani Bledsoe to a one-year deal, 780000 That's kind of a no-brainer. He knows the system. He had some success last year. Big-time hustle guy. I like the way he plays out there as far as moving around, sticking his nose in there. Motor never stops. And we're thin at defensive end right now. You have Hubbard, Hendrickson, Kareem, and now Bledsoe. So look for them to add another guy or two to that room because I don't know if you can go into the season with just those four guys at this point. And Louis Chofi came back. Glad to have him back. He coached for the Bengals for a while. He's going to be a defensive assistant. He's been in that role for us before. I know he coached the secondary for a while. So welcome back, Louie. Hopefully you're going to be part of a playoff team and you're here when we get to that Super Bowl. Welcome to the 2021 NFL Draft. So there's a phrase that is referred to as champagne problems, and they're the best kind of problems to have. They're not problems that involve life or death or your finances or you know anything truly negative. They're kind of good problems to have, and that's where we are in this year's draft. You pick any one of these guys, and you're going to be a better team. Sewell, Chase, Pitts. Those are good problems to have. So it's fun for us Bengals fans to debate that, but either way, we're going to win here. So everyone's predicting that there's going to be three or four quarterbacks taken right before we pick. So that puts us in the position to get either the first or the second best positional player out there, which is a really good position to be in. They say there might be a quarterback or two going after we pick. So, you know, as many first-round quarterbacks as possible, that makes our second-round pick even better because there's more players at the positions that we need available. And then there's talk about trading down, and I just wouldn't do it. It's a different tier of player. After you get out of that first five, six guys, there's a little bit of a drop-off. So let's grab one of those elite players. I mean, Mr. Tobin said it too. He said, I don't want to trade down and miss out on a premier player. 
And I fully believe in that philosophy. So I don't think we're going to be trading. If we were to trade, I wouldn't want to get out of the top 10 or 12 because then you're really looking at a different tier player. And if a trade did happen, I would want two firsts and a second minimum. I mean, three picks that are first or second round, nothing less, because the number five pick is very valuable. And you might have teams coming up trying to trade to the Bengals to grab one of those other quarterbacks. Who knows? But let's just stay pat. And we've been we've had a history of standing pat and not trading down and, and getting multiple picks. I know way back in the day we could have done that with the uh, Ricky Williams trade and it might have changed our future, but I'm not feeling that this year. There's three elite players that can all make a difference at their position so let's just grab one of them and ride off into the sunset. So on to the three guys. You have Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase, and Kyle Pitts. As I said earlier, you can't go wrong with any of these guys, nor can you be criticized. Let's face it, we all have our, our preferences on who they pick here. But if they pick any one of these guys, all of us Bengal fans are going to be happy and we're going to give the rationale of how this guy is going to help us get to where we want. So let's discuss the case for drafting each one of these guys. So let's start off with Penny Sewell. He's my choice because I want to fix this offensive line. As I said, grab four new offensive linemen. We only have one right now. So even if they grab Sewell and a second or third rounder, you're still only bringing in three guys. I think four guys fixes the problem. And if we didn't have such a need at that position, we could have the luxury of chasing a unicorn like Pitts or a dynamite receiver like Chase. But because of our situation, we might have to pass up on those great players to fix a need. But it's not settling. I mean, we're going to get this dynamite tackle who's huge, has great movement. He's a better run blocker than a pass blocker right now. But Frank Pollock gets his hands on him. I'm sure he's going to progress that part of his game. And he's not bad in pass blocking right now, believe me. But I've seen him maul people in the running game. And I'm betting that Joe Mixon is hoping that they grab him. He can make a major difference. And that's what you have to think about when you draft one of these players. It's it's not just the talent, because they're all right there. You know, any one of them is supposed to be a generational player. But it's the rarity of the position. And you have to think about the drop-off to the next guy at that position. So we know left tackles, cover corners, quarterbacks, those are the marquee positions. Those are the hardest positions to get. Wide receivers, there's a lot of them out there, especially with the way college is going these days. I mean, last year, how many good receivers came out? This year, same thing. There's so many. Yeah, Chase is the best one, but I still think you can get some good receivers later in this draft. And when you have a quarterback like Burrow or Brady or Mahomes, you don't need top 10 picks all over the place at wide receiver. These guys can make any receiver productive and dominant. And we've seen it. You know, look at what Brady's done, even Mahomes. He's got Tyreek Hill over there. I know Sammy Watkins was a first-rounder, but he wasn't even a major part of their plans. You know, the other guys, Hardman, the whole crew, it's not like you're looking at a bunch of high draft picks that it took to be successful there. And then if we don't take Sewell and just say a tackle doesn't fall to us in the second round, we end up taking one in the third round. Maybe we take a guard in the second round. Now we're banking on Jonah Williams and Riley Reef to stay healthy all year. And Jonah's had injury problems. Riley Reef is in his 30s. We don't take Sewell. We, we ignore tackle, take it a little bit later. What if something happens to Jonah or Reef? Now we have Fred Johnson and Adenogy going in there. Maybe Spain kicks out. Truthfully, same problem as last year. That's not going to be good. You know, everybody looks at it. You look at it on paper. Oh, we have a starter at that position. We have a starter here. We're set. 
It doesn't work like that. We know everybody misses time in the NFL. Look at all of our players. Right down the list. Higgins got hurt. Boyd got hurt. Burrow got hurt. All your Mixon got hurt. Everybody gets hurt. So to go into a season with two tackles and not much behind them is going to be trouble. So get another top-notch tackle. Now you have three guys in there. If any one of them goes down, you have a solution. And I wouldn't be afraid to kick one of these guys over to guard. Reef's willing to do it. Maybe that's the answer for Jonah to get his feet wet. Sewell can do it too. I mean, I could see him as a right guard mauling people in the run game. So there's versatility here. And if you take Sewell, how does that impact rounds two and three? And I'm going to do this with the other two guys as well. So if they grab Sewell in the first, now you're open in the second round to take a wide receiver, maybe take a linebacker. I know that's not a popular choice, but our linebacker room is a little bit thin. But drafting Sewell does open us up to those other positions, maybe a pass rusher. And then round three, I think round three, no matter which one of these guys you pick, has to be an offensive lineman. So, you know, you go for the best player available at one. Quite frankly, you go for the best player available at two as well. And then round three, hopefully there's a guard that slips to us. That seems like a good round to get a guard more so than a tackle, maybe even a center. All right, so that brings us to Jamar Chase. I saw the combine footage of him, and once I saw that, I was like, wow, I understand why these guys are so into chase. The speed, the jumping ability. I mean, you know, the vertical jump. I don't think I've ever seen someone, like, go over the top of it, and I really think that's what I saw. I'm not positive, but just all the skills in the world. The tape on him is incredible. You know, getting open, he can get the deep ball, contested balls. So, without a doubt, he's got the chemistry with Burrow. You can make an argument, hey, let's let's get that chemistry back. Same thing there. I'm, I'm going to say, you know, if, if you have Boyd and Higgins, you have Tate. Behind that at receiver, you don't have a ton of other guys right now. So it is kind of the same boat as tackle, right? If Boyd or Higgins goes down, now your receiver room's a little bit thin. So that makes sense to have another superstar receiver in there. I totally get it. It's just that that position, I think, as I said earlier, you can get wide receivers later. I know the borough chemistry is so big, and I'm sure if he comes here, he's going to have a phenomenal career. And we're going to be dangerous. But remember, it's hard to get the ball to people if you don't have time to throw. Joe had no time to throw last year. Mahomes had no time to throw in the Super Bowl. They lost. They should have won that game. They were the favorite. So, you know, you have these superstars on the outside with no time to throw to them. It's not going to make a big difference. So, unfortunately, it would be a luxury to take a player like this. It all adds up. But if you neglect that line, you're not going to have time to get him the ball or maybe... Maybe you do, but then, you know, Joe gets hurt again, and now now we're floundering. And Kyle Pitts, really the best prospect of them all. He's the one guy who you're like, wow, this guy's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame. I know that's crazy talk. I mean, that's, it takes a lot. It takes a long career to do that. But based on what he did in college, based upon his attributes, based upon the fact that he's a unicorn, as they like to say, very unique player, it seems like he is the best available player. And again, if our line wasn't so deficient, I would grab him in a heartbeat. But I really think we need to focus on tackle. But with that said, you bring in Pitts, you're going to be a dangerous offense. So if they would have done more in free agency at the offensive line, then I can see them grabbing a player like this. You would have given yourself the luxury to draft someone like this because you fixed the line. But they haven't fixed the line yet. But needless to say, if they do draft him, I'm going to be thrilled because he is going to be a dangerous player and the game is going towards tight ends, you know, down the middle of the field, there's always a mismatch, and he's going to create mismatches. You're not going to have a linebacker that can cover this guy. 
and slot corners are a little bit shorter in stature than the outside guys normally, so there's going to be a big height disadvantage for them, and the fact that he can jump to the moon, he's going to do a lot of damage in this league, and you know, he's the kind of player that I can see if we don't grab him, you know, we're going to watch him for the next 10-12 years just lighting up the league. So the best case, if they do pick Pitts, you have to go offensive line in the second round and the third round, or else you're really neglecting things and you're really exposing Joe Burrow and you're really saying, hey, we're not going to fix what was wrong last year. So that's the impact of picking a Pitts. It'll force you to go O-line in the second and third round. And, you know, trade up. Mr. Tobin, please, I hope you're listening to the podcast. Don't be afraid to trade up. If you do take Pitts and you get a great second-round lineman and that third-round pick is coming, I don't, I'm don't. i not a fan of the third through seventh-round picks. I, they're hit or miss. And if you look at our track record, I highlighted this episodes and episodes ago. We've had very little success in recent years in the third to seventh round. So after you make that second-round pick of an offensive lineman, if you were to grab Pitts and the third round comes around, get out of the third round, hop back into the second round and get another good player and really fix this. So that's it. Champagne problems. We're going to get a dynamite player no matter what happens here. I'm going to run through each positional group for draftability, including special teams. So let's just rifle through this very quickly. Quarterback. A couple months back, I was like, they may take a quarterback in the mid-rounds just as a backup, but the fact that they re-signed Brandon Allen... I don't think they're going to do it, and there's really no room to do it this year. You have too many other needs. You're just going to have to roll the dice that Joe stays healthy, and if something happens that Brandon Allen progresses from last year and can you know, go at least 500 in his absence. Running back, I thought this room was set, but the fact that Gio was waived, I'm not sure what's going to happen here. They could just go in with the four guys that they have now, but I suspect that they're going to grab a pass-catching speed back in like the sixth round, Maybe the seventh round. And you can always get a good one there. That's a position where all those running backs are good. You don't want to place too high of a value on them because of the danger of the position. So you can pretty much get a functional guy that can give you snaps anywhere in the draft. And even undrafted. Tight end is a need. Pitts is obviously the big answer there. Again, there's not a lot of room to draft a tight end in those mid-rounds. Because there's other positions that are deficient that you need to draft. So... I'm not sure they're going to grab a tight end unless they grab Pitts at the top. Wide receiver, they're getting thin there, and it's crazy. Last year, I thought we were so deep. You know, Green and Ross, Higgins, Boyd, Tate. I was like, we're, we're set there. And then, you know, in a matter of one year, it's like, wow, we, we need a couple guys. And that's the truth. They're going to need to bring in two wide receivers at some point. One's going to be in the draft in the first four rounds, has to be. And then the other, I don't know how that's going to happen. Maybe there's maybe there's a free agent that lingers. Maybe they get another undrafted. Maybe they even take a seventh-round wide receiver. But expect them to add two in this process and one very high in the draft. And then that brings me to offensive line. I'm beating this point to death. Four new offensive linemen. You grabbed one so far. You need to draft three. I know you guys think I'm crazy but you need to draft three. Let's get one in the first. Let's get one in the third. And then let's get some center or guard, fifth, sixth round, and really just solve this. Defensive end, thin position. They need to grab another edge rusher or at least a run-stopping defensive end somewhere in this draft. So look for them to get one of those. And you can't get those guys late. It, it really doesn't work out. Kareem, big-time hustle player. I liked him as a role player. 
But if you want a difference maker at defensive end, it's got to be a first-round pick or a second-round pick. Even third round, you're starting to push it. If they grab an offensive lineman with the first, that sets you up to take a defensive end with the second. But I know a lot of people are going to want a wide receiver there. There's, it's, it's a tough call, but they are a little thin there. So look for them to add to that position fairly high in the draft. Interior defensive lineman, I think you're set there. With Ogunjobi, Reeder, and then you have the guys coming back like Ren, Tupo. You know, there's a bunch of guys that can fit in that mix where it's not really a need position this year in the draft unless this really, really good player falls to you. So I'm going to predict that they don't draft an interior defensive lineman this year. Linebacker, they need to get another linebacker in here. And I just said it earlier, right? The Wilson injury history. Bailey's just starting to come back. Gaither's not an everyday player. Pratt's solid. You have Jordan Evans, but he's more of a special teams guy at this point. I don't know about giving him too many defensive snaps unless you just throw him in there to blitz every now and then. So this could be a position that they're going to need one of, but I don't know how high they're going to get one. And and if you don't get one high enough, I don't know how much he's going to be able to contribute. Secondary, we're set there. With all the offseason acquisitions and free agency, there's no reason to grab anyone here, even if a good player falls your way, because you have so many other needs. And then special teams, they may grab a kicker. I've seen rumors of them grabbing a kicker in the 6th or 7th round. Why not fix that position? If not, you're going to be chasing them on the waiver wire. So that's it for now. We're going to go over this more intensely in the next episode. But let's think about what we really need just to cap this off. You need offensive linemen. You need receivers. You need a defensive end. And you need a linebacker. So those are the four positions. And if I was the general manager, Mr. Tobin, if I were you, those would be the only four positions that I pick in the draft in some capacity. You just get maybe two, like I said, two to three offensive linemen, two wide receivers, a linebacker, and a defensive end. And then maybe you get your kicker and your running back seventh round or undrafted. So let's go. Love talking about this stuff. We're going to be adding eight new Bengals very soon. So it's going to improve the team. It's going to be a fun process. And we're going to get some good players. All right, let's very quickly rifle through last year's draft picks. First round, Joe Burrow instantly became my favorite Bengal of all time. It's crazy. I was always looking for a favorite Bengal. You know, I've had guys that I liked over the years. Daryl Williams back in the day was a safety. Um, You know, I guess recently it was A.J. Green for a bunch of years. But it was never just like this unanimous number one, that's my favorite player, until this guy came along. Joe, you are my favorite Bengal. Can't wait to get you on the show one of these days. And I just can't wait for this guy's career to just unveil and just go and go and lead us to championships and Pro Bowls and Hall of Fame. I don't know. That's that's what I'm believing right now, judging by what, I seen, what I've seen on the field and the attitude and the throws that he makes and the leadership. It's just, it's just all there. Higgins, an amazing second-round pick. Obviously, he should have been a first-round pick. He's going to be a great receiver for years to come for us. A definite steal at the top of the second round. Logan Wilson has some really good flashes this year. Had some times where it looked like he got overpowered out there. But overall, he's a heady player. He's very fast. Made some big plays. I think the arrow is pointing up for him. So I'm, I'm glad he's around. He's going to be one of our starting linebackers for quite a few years. Akeem Davis-Gaither. When he came out and I saw he was 215 pounds, I'm like, wow, that's really light for a linebacker. But he showed some good ball awareness out there. He's a good third down linebacker, a guy that you can trust in coverage, maybe blitzing here and there. So I think he was a positive addition to the team. He's going to be a role player. We can't just pencil him in as the third starting linebacker 
because again, he's not an every down linebacker, but still a fourth round pick. I think it was a plus. Khalid Kareem in the fifth, that's a solid pick because again, he's a hustle guy. You need defensive ends. He was really aggressive on the field. I think that the arrow's pointing up for him as well. I'm not sure that he's going to be a Pro Bowl type, but definitely a rotational guy. And on that defensive line, you need guys like that. They're not all going to be, you know, J.J. Watt types or, you know, whoever you want to throw in there. You you need role players in there. And I think that he fits into that mix. And, you know, he's going to play his, his three, four years with us in that rotation. And, you know, we'll see what happens from there. Again, with any of these players, your career is in your hands. The harder you want to work, the more you want to study the more you want to have the confidence in your mind that I'm going to be the best out here, you kind of control your own destiny. You're on the roster. And in Kareem's case, you're on the roster at a position that's thin. So do it, man. Rise to the top. Be the number one guy. There's nothing holding you back. You got the size. You have the strength. You have the speed. You have the pedigree. Let's go. Akeem Adenogy. I'll tell you, when he came in those first couple games last year, I was like, wow, what a steal in the, in the sixth round. Played a couple really good games for us, and then I don't know what happened. He, you know, he had a couple games that weren't that good, and they had that early hook on him in that one game where they, they took him out after one early mistake. So I don't know what's going on with that. If that if the practice in the, in the week leading up to that made them have that short fuse with him. But either way, we need linemen. He's a young guy. Seems to have his head on straight. I don't think it's a bad pickup. I don't know if he's going to be a starter. But again, just like Kareem, you need depth at the line. So he could be a guy that that comes in there in the pinch like he did last year. And Marcus Bailey, what a likable Bengal. You know, he was he's coming off the knee injury, so last year was kind of a wasted year for him. He had some action on special teams, hurt his neck, unfortunately. And then they gave him some snaps towards the end of the season on defense. But, you know, they're predicting that he has the chance to be a starter with his ability. So we'll see. A fully recovered knee... You never know. I'm hoping that he can be that third linebacker and turns out to be a steal from the seventh round. And then the undrafteds. Last year was a weird year where no undrafteds made the club, or at least no undrafteds from that season made the club. So I think we need to do a little bit better job there. You'd like to see them get at least one or two guys that make the active roster and contribute. Last year, unfortunately, we grabbed a lot of these undrafteds. You got more than ever because of the expanded rosters. And we didn't have much luck on it. But last year's draft, you can't consider that anything but an A. Just because of the top of the draft. You got Burrow and Higgins. That's an A in any draft, no matter what the other guys do. And it looks like you have a starter in Wilson. Looks like you have a couple role players in ADG and Kareem and Adenogy. And then you have that wild card with Bailey. So a successful draft last year. Let's carry it through to 2021. And let's build this team. Let's grow this team. And let's make some noise. Let's win some championships. Introducing the Cincinnati Bengals Ring of Honor. So the Bengals announced the Ring of Honor. I'm so glad that we did that. It's about time that we honor these old-time Bengals and give the new guys something to shoot for. It's just really good for the organization. It's good for the fans. It's just a total win. And I suspect Elizabeth Blackburn might have had a little bit to do with this. She's starting to make some positive changes, bringing this team into the modern era. So Elizabeth, if you're responsible for this, thank you. Great move. Continue the good work. Continue to bring in those creative ideas. So the first two members are Mr. Paul Brown and Mr. Anthony Munoz, and that's unanimous. You couldn't argue that those should be the two guys that go in first. And then they're going to leave the other two for this year, 
to fan voting. And it's only if you have season tickets. So your host over here in New Jersey doesn't get a voice in this, unfortunately. But I trust the season ticket holders. If you're going to let anyone vote, it's wise to give it to people that are making an investment in this club. And, you know, it's a big investment to, to get your your, li- your seat license and your lu- either your luxury box or your seats and trek out to the games, cold weather, whatever whatever brings. Those are the people that should be voting. I hope they do the right thing, but I'm going to trust that the season ticket holders will. If you're a season ticket holder out there, you know who to pick. Now, if I had a vote, they're going to put in four guys this year. I would say number three is Ken Anderson, and number four is Ken Riley. And then I think you do this. So you put in four this year. Then you put in three next season. And then you put in two the year after. And then you just do one a year for the rest of time. That keeps it exclusive. So for the three next year, you put in Boomer, Lamar Parrish, and Chad Johnson. Now, you might want to argue get some of the older players in there while they're still alive. You know, maybe you let Chad wait another year or two. But he's such an ambassador for this team. He's a monster on social media. It's going to be good for the team's image and promoting the team to make Chad Johnson an induction next year. And we all know he deserves it. I watched every every snap of his career, and he just lit it up on a consistent basis. Then the next year you go with two guys. My choices, Corey Dillon, an underrated Bengal who was our best running back of all time. I know he left. He was a little disgruntled. It's hard to honor someone who threw his cleats into the stands and said, I'm out of here. I'd rather flip burgers than play for the Bengals. You know what? Corey was a moody player. We're going to ignore that. Corey, if you're listening, that's all right. Everyone gets mad. So I think year three, you put in Corey Dillon and you put in Tim Crumry. You know, that's a guy who, who broke his leg for the Bengals and probably would have cut off his leg for the Bengals. Those are the players that I would want to see in in year three. Year four, like I said, you put in one a year, and now you kind of have to put in the older players for those first couple years. That's the time to put in your Isaac Curtis, Eddie Edwards, you know, guys like that. I mean, I'm looking at my list here, and, and some of them aren't with us anymore, like Sam White should go in, Dan Ross should go in, Bob Johnson should go in. And then, you know, you have guys like Big Willie, I even think that uh, James Brooks should be going in at some point. And I even think that Chris Collinsworth should go in. Not only for being a great receiver for the Bengals, but everything he's done since. He's one of the best broadcasters in the world. And he started Pro Football Focus. So he's made a lot of contributions to the game. So even though there were players at his position that were better than him, I think that he should be in that ring of honor at some point. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Corey O'Neill, host of the Greased Pole podcast. All right, we're here with one of my colleagues, one of the best football podcasters out there, and a great friend. This is Corey O'Neill from the Greased Pole podcast. Corey, how are you today? Frank, always good to be here. How you doing today, brother? All right, my friend. So I know the draft is your specialty, so I was hoping that we could go through maybe the first 12 picks up until the Eagles pick. And you can give me your thoughts on who everyone's going to take. Absolutely. I, I, this is my favorite time of year, Frank. You know that. Um, I, the draft is slowly creeping closer and closer. It's officially smokescreen season. Everybody's throwing out misdirections to try and throw off other teams. This is, this is my favorite drug of the year, man. I could not be more excited. And that's why you're here, man. I cannot wait to hear who you're going to select with each one of these teams. So without further ado, the Jaguars are on the clock with pick one. Who they taking? 
It's it's going to be Trevor Lawrence, and I I I have no allegiance to the Jaguars or the Jets, but I was kind of hoping that the Jets wouldn't jet and that they would get the first overall pick because I wanted I wanted to see Trevor Lawrence as a Jet, right? You pull for the underdogs. If you, if you're a fan of a team like we are, that is generally considered an underdog and doesn't have a bunch of Lombardis, you tend to pull for similar teams, which is why I kind of mess with the Jets and the Eagles and the Jets do a lot of business together and so on and so forth. So. I was really hoping to see Lawrence with the Jets, but he's going to be a Jaguar. And that's why Urban Meyer came out and he finally took the NFL job is because he he knows, okay, I'm guaranteed that I'm going to get Trevor Lawrence. So I'm going to get the guy that that I once referred to as the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. You know, hopefully, look, for Trevor Lawrence's sake, they don't go, you know, 6-10 and 10 for the next two years, or 6-11, and 11, I guess, um, but, and cause Urban Meyer to create another fake health crisis and get the hell out of Jacksonville. But um, it, he's going to be the pick. And, you know, at the end of the day, for for a team that, that Jacksonville is, is picking first overall, They, I mean, they've got a couple weapons on offense. Um, I, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have himself a good career. I don't think he's Joe Burrow, and I'm not just saying that to suck up to your listeners. Um, And Lawrence gets referred to as generational, much like Burrow did, and I think that Lawrence has some of that in him. But I think we fall in love with guys like Trevor Lawrence because he looks exactly like what we've been conditioned a quarterback to look like. Like, he looks like the dude from Remember the Titans. So he looks exactly like, like he's from the movies, and I think he's going to have a great career. I just, the Jacksonville Jaguars organization is very wonky to me like their owners are involved in soccer overseas which is fine with that there's nothing wrong with it uh they have that wrestling company that they're involved in as well for those that are into that there's a lot going on for the cons and whereas you know i'm sure that's the case for you know other owners in the nfl are the same way as well but the jaguars seem like a fiasco for a reason and i really hope it doesn't ruin trevor lawrence's career but he's going to be a jaguar at the end of the day Yeah, I hear you on that. That's like a no-brainer. And the Jets really did blow it by beating the Rams that one game. I mean, you know, you always want your team to win, but... They did, and that was was kind of the consolation prize if you're the Jets, right? You're thinking, okay, we've been... We've been god-awful for generations, but at least now we have the silver lining. We've got, okay, we can suck this year, but we know we're getting Trevor Lawrence, so maybe there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And then... And then no, because it's what the Jets do. Well, with that said, who are the Jets going to take with the second pick? This one became, this is, it's way clear now it's going to be Zach Wilson. I was of the thought process before before the San Francisco traded up to the number three pick. I thought it might have been Jamar Chase because Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas, Joe Douglas used to work under Howie Roseman, the Jets' current GM. And when Howie Roseman was trying to trade up to three to acquire Zach Wilson, my thought process was if he's going to make this move to go up to three to get Zach Wilson, he's not going to do it without having a conversation with Joe Douglas and seeing where his protege is at, right? So I thought for a while the, the Zach Wilson, the Jets thing was one of those smoke screens that we see all the time. But at the end of the day, it appears to, it appears to be legit, you know, and, and he's, he came out and said, yeah, I, I, Steve Young, obviously, who's the most famous BYU alum, uh, football-wise, came out and said that, you know, he's basically hears that the Jets are locked into Zach Wilson. They asked Joe Douglas about it. Joe Douglas says, well, who's more connected at BYU than Steve Young, right? So that kind of, I mean, he's not really tipping his hand, but it, hey, this is probably going to be our guy. And Zach Wilson, he's, he's 
he seems to be viewed as kind of the QB two in this draft behind Lawrence. I mean, he's got great arm talent. He's able to throw with incredible velocity from all angles. You know, he's got that great mobility that the NFL is kind of trending towards right now in, in terms of quarterbacks. But there's a lot of in the popular comp to him is Johnny Manziel. And I think Zach Wilson is probably more talented than Manziel was um, in terms of translating to the NFL level. But there is a lot of kind of him defaulting uh, to backyard football too often. It's real easy to fall in love with the arm talent of a Zach Wilson. But, you know, he'll stand and deliver in the pocket. But you see his inconsistency start to show up the more you watch him. His anticipation's not that, you know, it's not always there. His, his footwork's not super great at times. He, like I said, he just defaults to that backyard football. So I like Joe Douglas a lot as a GM. If they're going to take Zach Wilson, which I think they're going to, that's what all reports are indicating, they need to take these draft picks that they have that they've been stockpiling and just amass as much talent as they can around him to maximize his ability to succeed. You know, he, he could be very good. A lot of people like him a lot. I don't know yet who my second quarterback is in this draft. I'm working on that myself right now behind Lawrence. But, you know, Zach Wilson's getting a lot of love. He's got all the physical traits for the most part if he can just clean up those inconsistencies in this game. You know, more good points. And, you know, you mentioned Steve Young. So with that said, what do you think the Niners are going to take with pick three? So the popular, the name and mocks I keep seeing is Mac Jones out of Alabama. And I, I like Mac Jones. I don't know that he's a first rounder, though. To me, Mac Jones is a good quarterback at the college level. And this isn't even like the Alabama stigma um, when we talk about quarterbacks. Like he does a lot of things good, but there's nothing that jumps out at you about Mac Jones. I think if you're John Lynch in the 49ers, and you're making that move up to the third pick, you're giving up assets. I think you got to do it for a guy like Trey Lance, quarterback out of North Dakota State. Kyle Shanahan, to me, he he has he kind of reminds me of Chip Kelly in the sense of he he feels like he's the smartest guy in the room in, the room in a way. Like I can see Kyle Shanahan believing like he can take a guy that nobody else is high on it. I can get the most out of this guy. I can see Kyle Shanahan being that way, and I think he is, and I credit him for that. Now, the difference is, of course, between him and Chip Kelly is that Shanahan could coach in the NFL where Chip Kelly could not. And and I like, there's a lot of, it's it's much like Zach Wilson with Trey Lance. There's a lot there to like. I think if you move up to three, he's the guy you've got to take because he probably has the highest upside of the bunch, especially between him and Jones when you juxtapose the two. You know, he's a guy that's 6'4", 225, once he kind of bulks up and fills out that body, he's going to get that weight up to around 240, 245 or so. So he'll have nice size. His numbers aren't really overwhelming if you just look at the stat sheet. So it's not going to pop out at you like a Justin Fields would. But the tools you want are all there with Trey Lance. He's got a nice pocket presence. He's got the personality, the leadership skills uh, that you want to see out of the quarterback position. He can make the throws. He can run effectively, you know, much like a lot of these guys in this draft are. Again, the NFL is trending towards these Kyler Murray's, you know, Lamar Jackson types. The downside with him is it's the Trubisky aspect. He's only played one game in a year and a half, and he's only started 17 games in his college career. And in those games, he's averaged less than 18 attempts a game. So the sample size there is not what you want to see, but he's got some nuances to his game that don't look like a guy that's barely played. You know, he can navigate the pocket really well. He evades pressure, you know, incredibly. I don't think he should start immediately which is why San Francisco bringing him in and having him sit behind a Jimmy G 
while you kind of let Garoppolo ride his way out of there, to me it makes sense. And then 2022, you hit the ground running with Trey Lance and that Kyle Shanahan offense. That's a creative take, and I like the fact that you brought up Chip Kelly. You know, one of your one of your old homeboys. I, I think he was the king of the 20 minute <laughs> time of possession per game. It, I felt bad for guys like Connor Barwin and Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham watching our defense out there because by week seven or week eight, those dudes had played an entire season. Chip Kelly had no interest in time of possession. He did not care. That, that just wasn't what he did. If you could, if you could find Oregon on a map, or if you've ever been through Oregon, or if you could pronounce Oregon, he wanted you, and he wanted to just <laughs> you know fast forward and you know run himself out of the NFL and out of college now too. Way to, way to cap off that anecdote. All right, let's go on to pick four. Who are the Falcons going to take? This is a pivotal pick for the Bengals. Are they going to take a quarterback, or are they going to take one of the positional players? This is where I started to struggle because you don't. if you're San Francisco, I mean, you move up to take a quarterback, right? We're getting quarterback, quarterback, quarterback to start this thing. So I think the draft really starts here at four. I think the Falcons are a big trade-back candidate, so I don't know – that they're still ultimately going to be here when we get to the 29th. But if they are, and they've got a new uh, a new general manager, they got rid of Thomas Dimitrov that had been there for years. Terry Fontenot is their new GM. So do you go quarterback there? You've still got Matt Ryan, a former MVP, but he's you know he's getting older, getting a little long in the tooth. I think if if you're Atlanta, I don't know because there is no track record with Terry Fontenot. But to me, Kyle Pitts makes all the sense in the world for the Atlanta Falcons tight end out of Florida. This is a guy that at 6'5", 240, he's a matchup nightmare. People say, well, you know, do you take a tight end that high? It's kind of high for a tight end, right? Kyle Pitts is way more than a tight end. You can line him up anywhere on the field. He can run any route. He's sure-handed. He's well in space. He can get to that second gear and train change direction with ease. You know, he's got tremendous body control for a guy his size. Again, 6'5", 240. The dude's like a concrete block out there. You know, I think he ran a, a like a 4'4 at his pro day or 4'3'8", maybe. I don't have it in front of me, but way quick for a dude that size. Uh, this guy's a problem, and I can see him. He's going to be within a couple years. I can see him very much being in that, that Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Darren Waller uh, conversation as one of the best tight ends in the league. Like, he's a guy that people are going to be taking in the top five rounds of fantasy drafts, I think. And to me, he makes a lot of sense when you look at you've got Julio Jones. I know he's older as well. Calvin Ridley's great. You've got those two guys out there on the perimeter, and you can add Kyle Pitts at tight end and still put him – you know, split him out wide. You can put him lined up against the line of the true tight end. You can put him anywhere. And he makes that offense instantly overnight way better. I can see Atlanta possibly going O-lineman here as well, um, which would not be ideal for you guys, depending on how, how Cincinnati's big board looks. But I think ultimately to me, Kyle Pitts makes the most sense for Atlanta should they stay at four. I hear you on that. And, you know, you have Pitts, Chase, and Sewell as, like, the main Bengals targets. So, with that said, this is the moment we've been waiting for. Who are the Bengals taking with pick five, Corey? Okay, I'm going to preface this before I say who I think you guys are going to take. I, to me, Sewell makes all the sense in the world. I think, to me, it has to be. It, I'm not going to say it has to be Panay Sewell, but... When you have a guy of his caliber, a generational prospect at the tackle position, and you have the O-line issues that Cincinnati has, and you have Joe Burrow, a generational quarterback coming off a torn ACL, 
the best way to protect your investment is to keep his ass upright. And when you have, I know AJ Green just left for Arizona, but you've still got Tyler Boyd is damn good. T Higgins had an exceptional rookie year. You've still got weapons out there. Personally, I would, if Atlanta doesn't go Pitts, I would, part of me would love to see Pitts in that offense. I would love to see Joe Burrow with a weapon of Pitts' caliber. I would. But at the end of the day, to me, you can put whoever you want on the perimeter, but who's going to be there to protect him? So me personally, I would go Sewell. But I know Burrow's come out and he said that he would love to be reunited with Jamar Chase. I mean, that matters. That matters. To me, it matters when you have a guy like Joe Burrow coming out and advocating for his former teammate, you know, and he's a guy in Jamar Chase. He he could have been easily the first wide receiver taken last year in 2020, you know, in that loaded receiver class we had last year. You know, his 2019 season was among the best we've ever seen in college football history for a receiver. You know, he's 6'1". So he doesn't have that height of a Mike Evans or a Julio Jones, but he's got that elite top-end speed that you want. He's a dangerous deep threat, and for this offensive-friendly era we're in, that's tough to beat because most corners aren't at, are they're not athletic enough to be able to keep up with him when he goes vertical. He's got that great first-step quickness. He can you know, come off the line of scrimmage in a variety of ways. He's sudden out of his breaks. He's effective running those slants and those out routes. You know, when you can get a playmaker at all three levels like Jamar Chase, it's hard to say no. I get the debate of Chase versus Sewell, Sewell versus Chase, and even Pitts in there, as you mentioned, is kind of that triple threat. Who do we go with? You can't go wrong with any of them. I would go Sewell, but I think ultimately it ends up being Jamar Chase. Yeah, when you first started talking about it, I thought you were going to lean towards Sewell, which I am, but I can see them taking Chase too. And you know what? These are good problems to have. If they get any one of those three players, it's going to make a difference. But if they don't draft Sewell in the first round, they're really pigeonholing themselves to have to take an offensive lineman in the second round and perhaps the third round as well. Absolutely. And that, that's and the good thing, though, is, Frank, about this class is the top of the draft is very heavy with solid offensive linemen. Now, after about the third round, there's a drop-off. But... For teams like us that are picking high in the second round, you're still going to have good quality, starting quality offensive linemen there. You could see guys fall out of the first round, too. You know, you never know who's going to make moves on the back end. Maybe Cincinnati makes a move back into the first round, possibly take a guy like Jalen Mayfield, maybe out of Michigan. There's still going to be somebody there. That said, on the flip side, there's still going to be very good receivers there as well at the top of the round. So it's they're going to have to decide what's more important. Do we take the surefire, the elite, protector in Panay Sewell and then supplement our perimeter, our receiving core with a good receiver, not an elite one, but a good one. Or do we, you know, vice versa, do we go with the elite weapon on the outside that we can add to Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins to make our offense that much more potent and then come back around and take a guy that we can plug in on the offensive line, but isn't a lock that you can plug in from week one and go, okay, we know Burrow's backside is going to be protected no matter what. Great points, and that's what a lot of Bengals fans are wondering right now. We just have no clue what they're going to do that day, and I guess it makes the draft more exciting. Dolphins. The Dolphins are weird, man. They tend to draft kind of goofy. You know, the last they had three picks last year, and, and two of them were kind of, huh? I, I, I'm, I've, I've got him taking Devontae Smith right now, Heisman Trophy winner. You know, he can line up in the slot, X and Z. I, I've got concerns about his size. He's listed at 6'1", 175. 
I know the tape doesn't lie. I know he's a great route runner, but that tenth size or lack thereof worries me at the NFL level. I think Miami goes receiver, whether or not it's Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, but I'm giving him Devontae Smith here. Lions with seven. I'm going to give them Devontae Smith's counterpart. I think Jalen Waddle's going to go Detroit. Detroit's another interesting team because they could go a, a, several different directions, right? New head coach Dan Campbell wants guys that are going to bite kneecaps off. So that makes me think Michael Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State, maybe. But I think if you're going to make that move for Jared Goff and you're going to want to surround him with something, you just lost Kenny Galladay. Jalen Waddle's one of these guys, much like Jamar Chase, he's a threat to score anytime he touches the ball. Opposing defenses always have to account for him. If you're going to lose a weapon like Kenny Galladay, you have to replace it with a top-end talent. That's why I'm going Waddle. What about the Panthers at eight? Uh, this breaks my heart to do, Frank, but I'm giving him Panay Sewell, man. And <laughs> look, Bengals fans, you guys know the, the tail of the tape with Panay Sewell. Like we said, generational left tackle, man. And I'm giving him to Carolina because they just made the move for Sam Darnold. Um, they picked up his fifth-year option as well. So your best way to see whether or not that Darnold is your answer long-term is to make sure you can keep him upright. Yeah, that would be a very good value pick at number eight. What about the Broncos at nine? It looks, I mean, it's seeming like there's a couple quarterbacks still left on the board for a team that may need one. And one's going here. I'm, I'm giving him Justin Fields. And this is kind of tough for me because I, I, I've been a Drew Locke apologist. And, you know, you, you get some right, you get some wrong. And it's starting to look like I'm going to take an L <laughs> on, on Drew Locke. But I, I don't think this is one of these scenarios where I don't think, you know, Fields was seen as the 1B to Lawrence's 1A you know, several months ago. Now his stock's fallen a little bit because it, it you know, it, and it shows up on tape. He doesn't go through his progressions. He locks in on a guy, and that's kind of starting to get out there now. And that's that's huge red flag, you know. Even though for a guy that can make all the throws, if you can't do something that simple, and it's it's sticking around, is that evident on film? It's a problem. It, it can be fixed. But I think still Denver, the upside potentially for Justin Fields is enough for them to, if, if everything goes a certain way, if he's there at nine, they definitely have other needs. But I think if Fields falls to him at nine, the value is going to be tough for him to pass up. All right, now we're going to go on to the part of the draft that you're probably going to be most interested in because we have your rivals picking 10th, we have your other rivals picking 11th, and then we have the beloved Eagles picking 12th. So who the Cowboys going to take at 10? So this is the part of the night where I start just pounding shots of Jamison and going out for darts every five minutes. <laughs> because <laughs> Dallas, it always makes me nervous when Dallas is on the clock. Because instance like last year where they spike pick CD Lamb, and I'm not saying that they only did that because they knew that, that you know Howie Roseman wanted to move up and get him. At the end of the day, Dallas is the antichrist for me, but I will give credit where it's due. I've got them taking Patrick Sertan the second cornerback out of Alabama. He comes from an NFL bloodline, obviously. There's a guy that started for a loaded Alabama secondary as a true freshman, 38 consecutive starts. All right, well, now we're going on to your other rivals at 11 with the Giants, and there are quite a few good defensive players still on the board. So with that said, where are the Giants going with pick 11? They are. There are. And, I, you know, Frank, I flirted with the idea of giving them uh, Pay, edge rusher out of Michigan, because I think he's got probably the highest upside of, of this crop of pass rushers. I think you pair him opposite Leonard Williams, who they just you know gave a nice extension to. You've got a tandem there that can create problems in the division. 
what I ultimately did, though, and this is one that when I was putting this together, I kind of feel the least confident about this one. I gave him Christian Darasaw, offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech. And the reason I did that is if, if, if you're going to have Daniel Jones clear up these these turnovers, the fumbles he gets in the pocket and things of that nature, which has been a lot of them uh, over his two years of quarterback, your best way to do it is to build in the trenches. You know, games are won and lost there. And they just spent a top five pick last year on Andrew Thomas. If you give now Daniel Jones a bookend, you have your offensive tackles. You've got those, you've got them set with Andrew Thomas and Darisaw for the next decade. Yeah, I agree with you, Corey. Giants fans, they're going to want those fun picks, you know, the skill players and, and the big-time pass rushers, so they're not going to be happy if they draft a relatively unknown offensive lineman. But I, I think that's a good idea, and you're right. If you if you solidify two tackles, you're pretty much there on the offensive line for a long time to come. Let's move on to the question of the day for one of the biggest Eagles fans in the world. Who are the Eagles taking with pick 12? Okay, and see, this is this is so tough, Frank, because I I don't have the biggest trust level in Howie Roseman to to do the right thing, whatever that may be. Um, and I I don't think most Eagles fans do. So I, I know I'm not alone in that camp. But um, I'm hoping if 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 this is real, if this is real life, what I'm hoping is that um a guy like Jalen Waddle somehow falls to number 12 or something I mean why not draft everybody on the board named Jalen at this at this point if we're Jalen Hurst Jalen Rager Jalen Waddle make it sound like a law firm hell with it. <laughs> um but I, if it falls this way and I don't think ultimately Jalen Waddle does make it to 12 I think Micah Parsons I would love to see him in the conversation but Howie Roseman doesn't value linebacker to that degree, he's a day two, day three linebacker guy. He's never spent a first rounder on a linebacker, so he's not going to start now. I've got them going J.C. Horn, cornerback out of South Carolina. And this is a guy, I put my big board out there on the pod a couple weeks ago, and he was a guy that even before we made the move back to number 12, I had J.C. Horn listed as a trade back candidate. I love this guy's game. Corner is something we sorely need and have needed for a long, long time. Darius Slay is a nice piece to have, sure, but this is a team that still gets torched. I mean, it, it's 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 torture watching these guys every week because everybody gets burned every week. So J.C. Horn would go a long way into making it feel like an Eagles defense again. You know, this is a guy in, in J.C. Horn, Joe Horn's son, you know, so he's got that NFL bloodline as well, like Sertan does. He's a, a physical, a disruptive corner. If you watch his tape against Auburn, it's absolutely insane. Caleb Farley as well wouldn't be, you know, bad for me. The corner out of Virginia Tech, I like him as well a lot. And you know what? If you're going to grab a corner or a tackle or a pass rusher or a quarterback, I mean, those are really the four marquee positions, so... The fact that you, you're predicting that your team is going to get one of those marquee positions with one of the best players in the nation, I think that bodes well for the Eagles. Well, that's it, it, you make a perfect point, Frank, because you see, and this is why linebackers to me, it, as much as I love Michael Parsons, a Penn State fan, and he's great. He's the best off-ball linebacker prospect I've seen in, in years, maybe since you know Luke Keekley, but you know, or Von Miller, but the linebacker value now in the NFL is not what it was 20 years ago, right? Like you said, the most important position in sports is quarterback, you know? So you've got that. You have to protect your quarterback and keep him upright. 
there's your offensive line. And on the flip side, on defense, you know, cover, you know, all these receivers now, there's so many thousand-yard receivers in this league. To be a viable defense in this offensive-friendly NFL, you not only need one good corner now, you need two or three to be able to, to be seen as a viable defense in 2021 like you said corner and then you have to be able to pressure the other team's quarterback and make them uncomfortable rush them into throws and put them under duress those are the big positions and i think that's why you see you know years ago when guys like mike singletary and brian erlacher and ray lewis they were such you know those are the marquee guys of the nfl 10 20 years ago the value is just not there anymore to take a linebacker this high in the draft i mean again michael parsons is rare i love him but you're better off taking one of those four positions than a linebacker just purely because of the way the game is now gotta tell you Corey, it was great having you on you were so good at what you do my friend how do people find you on social media so i am on instagram at grease pole podcast I'm also on Twitter at Greased Pole Pod. I need to get back into the Twitter game more. I don't tweet a whole lot. I'm trying to get a little more active with that. So if you do follow me, look for me to be on the timeline a little more often. Um, and then I'm I'm in the the works of finally putting together a YouTube page. So that's I've been doing the pod for about a year now. So I figured it's why not finally get onto YouTube with with everybody else and introduce myself to 2021, <laughs> you know, and, and, and just do everything across the board and get out there as many ways as possible. But that's where you can find me. Excellent stuff, my friend. I'll talk to you soon, Corey. Absolutely, Frank. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to come out a couple days before the draft, and it's going to be a special edition. We're going to have a roundtable with Tom McLevy and Sands. We're going to make our predictions. Blake Jewell is going to stop in and give his opinion on who the Bengals are going to take with those eight picks. So stay tuned. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. And I'd also like to thank the Zedia Network, the network responsible for bringing you the unofficial Bengals podcast. You can find them at Zedia Network on Instagram or Twitter, and Zedia is just like the word media, only with a Z. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.